So this evening, I would like to talk about the how of happiness. Maybe that's the reason you came to meditate. Yes. Have you found it or not yet? <laughs> this is a good question to ask. And I chose actually to talk about happiness because when you come on a retreat, I think you find out the word dukkha, suffering, is a recurrent theme. Every time he's talking about dukkha. Then some people ask, when are they going to talk about happiness? <laughs> so the day has come to dedicate a full one hour for happiness. Anyway, uh, this is in the American constitution, constitution. I think the right of life and liberty and to pursue happiness. I like that word, to pursue happiness. That means you are here and happiness is over there. You get a picture. If that's the mode where you are, that okay, now you're, this is a sitting, okay, this sitting, I'm going to practice to pursue happiness. Maybe the next sitting. Then maybe the next sitting. Th that sitting may, may not come. So uh, I, I really want to talk about this happiness so that you are not the person who is pursuing happiness, but you are cultivating happiness. There's a difference there. Pursuing seems to be like a future project. Yeah? It's like when you go to college and get your degree, and then you get a job somewhere, certain time uh, in the future. But for me, cultivating is something I'm doing now. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah? From moment to moment, I'm cultivating. I think this is a, a wonderful image. Somebody told me, Many years in Europe, they had uh, a way how to make donkeys work by putting a carrot in front of it and a stick so that it's dangling in front of it. So the more the donkey was uh, follow the carrot, the more it pushes the luggage. And guess what? The donkey never get to eat the carrot because it's all the time in front. The more it runs, the more it runs, the more it cannot catch it. Cannot catch. So if we are going to put happiness in front, let's say after maybe tomorrow you'll be happy. Now you are not happy, but tomorrow you want to be happy. Well, try and see. <laughs> I think Buddha's teaching offers a different paradigm where actually you can try as much as possible to experience it on moment-to-moment -moment, uh, level. This is what I'm going to offer. Really, not, not, not many things here are new, but I really want to kind of uh, put together most of the instruction we've given you and teaching and really put it together and see how it fits into Buddha's teaching. That's really my purpose today and explain more about happy, happiness. Myself, I've tried to pursue happiness, but uh, I failed. <laughs> totally failed. <laughs> But when I started cultivating, I think that changed my life. And maybe that's why I'm what I am now. Uh, to tell you the truth, I wasn't born as a monk, in case it's not obvious. <laughs> I lived in India for five years and studying to be a business person and ended up in Thailand. I became a scuba diving instructor and I had fun. <laughs> For two years, I was super saturated <laughs> with all what you call pleasures. <laughs> and I feel the life of the Buddha is not different from my life because I really, I was super saturated. And I left the islands after two years. This is a resort, actually. As a scuba diving instructor, I was reading a good life and everything. So I, left, I went back to Africa, and then after that, I... As I should meditate more. Actually, I had, that time I had learned meditation actually in India. And uh, I said, I want to go back and meditate. This thing is not working. I want real happiness. <laughs> so I came to, to meditate here. 
and I didn't find happiness actually the first week because <laughs> I was disappointed. <laughs> actually, I just came from active life of traveling for one year in South America. I was so exhausted and I just came from Boston, come here. Every yogi is walking so slow, super slow. <laughs> I had forgotten about this kind of really environment actually. I had done a retreat in 1994 in India, but I wasn't really a person who's into retreats. <laughs> I was really pretty much practicing and reading and meditating on my own. So I decided to come for a three-month retreat. And uh, I was sitting with lots of pain. I said, where is happiness, real happiness here? But I was very lucky one time I got to know that you can feed birds there out in the forest there. Now the, the, the rules, I think, there you cannot do that. But those days, <laughs> uh, there, was a, uh, there was no rules. So you just get the seeds and, take, and feed the birds. So, well, I went there. And it was like still warm and uh, I used to feed them. But they, I didn't really get so happy because the birds were fighting each other to eat the, the, the seeds here from my hands. So I used to sit there and, and say, may you be free from suffering and its causes. Because bigger ones were fighting with the small one. I said, I'm the one who brought the food for you. Why do you have to fight each other, basically? So I was disappointed, actually. Even birds were really fighting. So one time, uh, it was winter, actually. And I had put on a down jacket, which I didn't know what's down jacket. But anyway, they gave me one. I, I look like an astronaut, actually. When I put on that down jacket, <laughs> and uh, actually, I had the cuff that I cover myself, and it leaves the eyes only, and the mouth and the nose. And people said, "Don't go near the bank." <laughs> Now, I put on the gloves, and then I, I went back into woods because I wasn't getting real happiness on a cushion because basically it was too much pain, actually. Physical pain, not, not emotional pain, physical pain. I wasn't really finding that place of happiness. So I went to the woods. With my seeds, I put them here, here in my hand, then on the shoulders because down jacket is big. And then here, I put some seeds here. <laughs> On top of seeds. Because it was so cold, I didn't want to bring my hands outside like this. <laughs> I just stood like this and they said, take care, I mean, help yourself to the seeds. <laughs> stood there. The birds kept on coming, landing and going, landing and going. And I was saying, Meta, may you be well up and peaceful. This time they were not fighting, so there was no disappointment. So I sat there and then I... I felt so good. I was so present, better than on a cushion, actually. I said, this is great. So I found out, actually, happiness is not only on a cushion. You can cultivate happiness even off the cushion. For me, I thought that things are going to happen on a cushion because I've spent one year traveling a lot, not so much on a cushion. <laughs> I used to meditate, but not as here full time, you know. So I really came out of that wood, those woods. I was so happy, beaming with happiness. And when I went on a cushion, I'm telling you, there was no pain <laughs> because I was really feeling so happy. And pain was not to find me, at least that day. And also I had learned some few techniques anyway. So anyway, that was a practice of loving kindness by feeding birds. So if you have problems sending loving kindness to your neighbor... <laughs> or to difficult people, try to send loving kindness and compassion to something, maybe a little bit of animal, maybe things will shift, you know, and then when you come here, you can practice. Now, let's go to what the Buddha said, actually, this is my experience I want to share with you during the three months retreat in 1999. Of course, uh, I want to go through what the Buddha talked about happiness, actually. The Pali word uh, for happiness is sukha. In Luganda, 
uh, we say sugar, and people like a lot of sugar over there, so they they are happy when they eat it. <laughs> Maybe they, it makes them high a little bit. <laughs> Take a lot of sugar. So anyway, you know that uh, the Pali word is sukha, and uh, the topic uh, of my talk, the how of happiness. Actually, I got it from a book by Sonia Lubomirsky. There's a book that uh, is now in the United States. The United States wanted to know what keeps people unhappy and why people are really happy. And USA spend a lot of money to make this research. And now there's a book which is called The How of Happiness. And when I read that book, it was amazing. It had most of all the Buddhist techniques we have been offering you, actually. So that's why I try, I try to use that title so that you can remember that. So let's go through what the Buddha talked about happiness. He identified four kinds of happiness. One of them is being happy when you possess wealth that you have earned honestly. Honestly? And you, out of your hard work, you really earn your wealth. So the Buddha said that brings happiness. That's the first kind of happiness. Second one, the happiness of sharing your wealth that you've earned honestly with sweat and hard work. So you share and then you become happy. Then there's a happiness that arises when you don't have any dates to anyone. So you sit there, or oh, nobody's going to knock on my door and ask me back the money or anything. So that's also another form of, of happiness. The fourth one is called happiness that arises from blameless. So uh, nobody's blaming you. So the, I think this happiness you can enjoy here during the retreat you are here self-employed on a cushion. Nobody's going to blame you. <laughs> I think uh, uh, you keep five precepts. Nobody's going to say, oh, you broke the first precept, you killed this, you took this unintentionally or otherwise. So I think we can access this kind of happiness, the happiness of blameless. So these are the, the, actually the usual kind of happiness I think you can even enjoy in uh, your day life. But here also I think the happiness of blamelessness you can enjoy. Now, we go to the how of happiness. Actually, how do you really get real happiness? True happiness, not excitement. Uh, not just excitement, but real and true happiness. the Buddha taught the Noble Eightfold Path. And that's what I'm going to offer you. Just in a very light way. Touch it in a light way because most of the teachers have given talks actually about the Noble Eightfold Path. Uh, each of us have given the, the talk on the Noble Eightfold Path. So the Noble Eightfold Path, which you know already, the right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration is the way to happiness. If you want to be happy, you practice the noble eightfold path because the Buddha said this path leads to vision, leads to knowledge, it leads to direct knowledge, it leads to appeasement, calmness, or peace, it leads to uh, awakening, enlightenment and also it leads to final awakening uh, nibbana so that's where it leads you so you know where it leads now but also i want to tell you that uh, when we teach on a longer retreat like this and in a team we're teaching in a team so most of us we find out wow this is a lot of information where does it fit together i'm telling everything fits into the vulnerable truth the first noble truth of suffering, the second noble truth of the cause of suffering, the third noble truth of the cessation of suffering, and the fourth noble truth of the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. 
So this is where we get all this teaching actually. <laughs> so they all fit together if you know the mission statement of the Buddha. You, you think university have, universities have mission statement? The Buddha had the mission statement. If you understand the mission statement of the Buddha, then you are not going to feel a conflict even in instructions the teachers are giving, even the talks they are giving. You are going to be happy with whatever they are giving, whatever you read, whatever you practice. Here is the, the mission statement of the Buddha. He said that the first noble truth of suffering, it should be understood. That's the task for you. You are getting another yogi job here. Your yogi job is to understand suffering, apart from mindfulness of work. There, that's mindfulness of work. Here is your yogi job now. Okay, you should understand suffering. Then the second noble truth, which is the cause of suffering, like craving, that one you should overcome, abandon. That's another job you have. The third one is the, the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, which is Nibbana, of course. But the, there, the, in the mission statement, the Buddha said that you should realize it. That's ultimate happiness, actually. That's why you're here. I, I hope so to realize ultimate happiness. The fourth one is, the, of course, the Noble Eightfold Path. So your yogi job is to develop it. You have to develop it. You have to cultivate it. So you have four things there going on. One is understanding. The second one is abandoning, overcoming. And another one is, is realization. Another one is development. Now, when you come to the interview, uh, so you go to Banta and they say, oh, you know, I had this, this, this thing, this thing. That's okay, you know, be more mindful. And then you go to another teacher the next interview say, oh, you know, you try to understand this. Then say, why are these instructions conflicting? You know where I'm getting at? Because the, uh, the other teacher told you to understand and the other teacher is telling you to develop and other teacher is telling you to abandon, then you say, why is this teacher telling me to abandon, <laughs> to overcome? But actually, everything fits, to, fits together like a jigsaw like this. And in many cases, when we start to develop the Noble Eightfold Path, we come to understand the, the first noble truth, suffering. Because then, when we develop the path, when we come to the first noble truth with five aggregates and all that, and we really see it, with all its gravity, then we are going to be free from it. But if we don't develop the path and have mindfulness, then we, when we turn to suffering, we are going to have one, what we call emotion commotion. We are going to face our pain and all this suffering with a lot of agitation and fighting and kind of wrestling with it. Who's going to win and all that. But if you have an understanding, as I already taught you last time, I gave a talk on the, the five aggregates, and you can understand them very well, then you can understand also, you can really understand fully what's the true nature of existence. And then, once you understand, then you can abandon, you can overcome some, the cause, which is maybe craving, maybe that's I, right? That's I, me, mine. And sometimes this can be behind our practice. I want to be happy. Last time I did go and carry treat, I was happy. Now it's 10 days, I have to be happy. Then you are so much, there's I behind it. And then you cannot gain happiness. Of course, once you have abandoned the cause, then you can realize peace. That's how it works. I think for me, it's very, very important to understand the mission statement. I remember I was practicing Burma. Every time you go to, to the teacher to report, they just say, did you note it? Then you go again another time. You explain, oh, I had the hindrance, I had this, and uh, a lot of anxiety, hindrance. And Did you note it? I say, what do they mean? <laughs> they should tell me, come on, tell me more. <laughs> but when I understood the the mission statement of the Buddha. I say, ah, 
They are actually asking me to understand what's going on. Not to push it away, but understand. This goes against our usual way of dealing with life, actually. <laughs> we always want to get rid of. We are kind of exterminators. We don't want to really take time to understand. Of course, finally we have to abandon something, but abandoning which, is, uh, which has a support and a basis of understanding. Not to abandon things without understanding. Abandoning should have understanding. Not just, oh, I don't like this, with aversion. With, uh, with uh, this kind of ignorance and all that. So yes, this is very, very important. Most of the time, we experience uh, happiness. Uh, Sometimes we don't experience happiness. And then the reason might be, maybe there's a lot of I, I, I want to be happy. I want to be a good meditator and all these things. I share with you something I read somewhere. I don't know, I don't know the source though, but... Anyway, I'll share with you. There's a person who came to the Buddha and simply said, I want happiness. The Buddha replied, I is ego. <laughs> remove that. Then remove want, which is desire and, and craving. The Buddha smiled. Now you are left with only happiness. <laughs> I like this very, very much because... Whether, whether it's suffering or happiness, it's always centered around I, me, I. It's just a process. Happiness is happening. Of course, I hope you have heard about the talk about non-safe. Of course, ultimately, there's no I. But on relative level, we can say I stands for the five aggregates. Yes, there is a, a feeling, but that belongs to five aggregates, and it's a process. So I'm not going to talk about anatta, <laughs> but I, I think you know that once you remove I, me, 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 mine, myself, usually you experience something, <laughs> really, which is like, in fact, that's what happened, I think, when I was feeding those birds. I was not there. I think I, I had to remove that I, I'm feeding the birds. I, I, it's got, it was getting in the way, actually. So I just stood there and just watched the show. And that's why I think I was very happy. So let us start, I think, with the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, which is right understanding. Right understanding, I think uh, I'm just going through very like quickly because you really understand this thing, I, I assume, that you understand the whole Noble Eightfold Path, but I'm just going to mention things there, throw things in there. So, okay, right understanding, at least you must have uh, four kinds of right understanding. Right understanding of the Four Noble Truths, which you know already, right understanding of love karma. Well, that's not a popular one, but <laughs> at least... <laughs> and even speaking about it, I won't be popular, I think. <laughs> Most people don't want to hear this. So uh, then understanding about impermanence, uh, that's the third kind of understanding, understanding about impermanence, suffering, and non-safe. That's also another kind of understanding. This is another understanding which is called dependent origination. You should understand about what you call dependent origination. Somebody, I think, talked about this. I think it was uh, Andrea talked about these things in relationship with the five aggregates. So, anyway, it's very, very important <laughs> because most people think that when they are suffering, it's just pushing it away that they will get happiness. But the Buddha said that it's through understanding suffering that happiness arises. So he gave a sutta, actually, which is very interesting. He said that uh, there are two kinds of people when they, they experience uh, suffering. Two kinds of people. One, when, they are exp uh, that when that person is exper experiencing suffering, they struggle. They collapse into suffering. Because they don't want to face it, they kind of try, uh, try to fight it and they collapse into it. And they cannot see even the way out of it. Usually those people actually they 
try to find the way out of it by grabbing another object of craving. They, they crave even more and then they get caught up into it. But there's a second kind of, a kind of person. The Buddha said that when he's faced by suffering, they find they try to apply mindfulness <laughs> and then they find out, ah, there is a way out. You know? It's like when you have been driving for a long distance and you don't see an exit and then finally you find it and then you say, ah, now I can get out of this. And I remember I got lost in Tibet for two days <laughs> and one night. <laughs> it's not, it wasn't my fault, actually. <laughs> it was a misprint in a book, actually. It was saying 75 miles, a milestone, and me and a friend of mine from America and a Tibetan, we went to find out a cave of Padmasambhava, the founder of Vijrayana. Then we went, and, uh, and then the car dropped us at exactly 77 milestone. And then we went out with our backpack stuff before I became a monk, remember. So now we walked, we walked, we walked, and then we said, oh, let us go off the trail. It's fine. So let's find a cave. And we went the mountain. We, uh, before we reached the mountain, we went through sand dunes, sand dunes, and we could not find out where we came from. And we could not find out where we are going. I'm telling you, it was dukkha in a word. <laughs> <laughs> Run out of food, was too cold. I'm telling you, talk about dukkha. <laughs> Run out of water and it was heavy luggage and you can't throw it because it has a lot of stuff with the tent and all that. So finally, when we found out a man who was drunk, he told us that that's the way to 177. So we had walked 100 kilometers <laughs> for two days. <laughs> and then we found a way out. So now... Finding the way out brings a lot of confidence and faith that finally I'll never get lost. So now this is a physical getting lost, but in spiritual terms, what if you really find out, oh, there is the noble eightfold path that you can go. Exit. Let us call it exit eight because there are eight. <laughs> so you find out exit eight as a wow. <laughs> you'll feel a lot of joy I'm telling you and happiness let me tell you what the Buddha said because I remember when I, when I found out my way in Tibet that happiness it was amazing so the Buddha recorded this way Dukkha Highway if you're on Dukkha Highway, you find exit at 8 and you're in a good shape. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Now, here's, here, what, this is what the Buddha said. When you actually uh, experience suffering and understand it, what ar arises is, is what we call faith. Sada. Carol has already talked about that. I'm not going to talk about it. So, from faith and confidence... Gladness arises. In Pali, it's called Pamoja. Gladness arises. From gladness, joy arises. That's pity in Pali language. And those things actually arises in that sequence. So when you have joy, tranquility arises. And then when you have tranquility, happiness arises. When you, uh, you have happiness, concentration arises. And then when you have concentration, you see things as they really are. There's also another translation, seeing things as they become. The Pali word is yata, buta, nyana, dasana. So you see things clearly because your mind is concentrated. So this is amazing that you get all these benefits. By just seeing Dukkha and seeing Exit 8. 
This is very, very important to remember this mental state that arises. Uh, and then you can track down these mental states in your experience. Further on, after seeing things as they really are, you become disenchanted. The Pali word is nibida. It means turning away from conditioned things, phenomena. When you turn away from conditioned things, this is, a this is not a negative or turning away, but it comes from your understanding, nibindati. You turn away, you, after finding out that this is not leading to happiness and all these things, you turn away from the, uh, your craving for things and all that. After that, what comes is called uh, viraga in Pali, viraga. Raga means glue, so V means not gluing. You don't glue to your uh, sensual world. You actually slowly uh, disengage uh, through understanding also. And finally, you get what you call vimuti, uh, which is liberation, final happiness. So those are the mental state that arises when you understand suffering. The term disenchantment looks negative, but I like the Andy, Andy Olendisky is, I think, the executive director of that center down there. He gives a very good, um, I think, uh, illustration about this mental state. He said that it's like a dog. You know, dog has a lot of craving for meat, for the bone. And then it sees the bone there, and then I say, wow, I like to really get the meat on that bone. But, with the bone. but the thing that uh, usually those are dry bones, <laughs> there's no meat. But the dog, for some reason, I don't know why, it always go for the bones, you know. And then once it grabs the bone with all its uh, craving and, and all these desires, and then it starts biting it, biting it, biting it. I think you have dogs also. The way how they really uh, bite the dry bone, as if there's fresh, but there's nothing. Later on, after it really gets exhausted, from understanding and experience, it throws it away like this. It becomes disenchanted. It's not because of the, actually the bone itself, but it's actually the mind state it is having. It lets go that mind state. So that's what it, uh, Andy talks about this mental state. It's, it looks like a, this, a negative term, but actually it's actually out of understanding. So you, you really find out that this uh, experience that is causing suffering, it doesn't lead me to happiness. And then you just drop. Basically, you just drop the mental state. You drop I. You try as much as possible to drop I mind myself because I is conceit that's a mental state called conceit and mind is craving that's mind state of craving and myself is more wrong view alright this is a wrong view that this is self so when I talk about IMS not IMS means do, don't cultivate conceit arrogance and craving and also wrong views that's the benefit, actually, of practicing this way. So let's go to right thought. That's one way of actually gaining happiness by understanding. Let's go to right thought. So right thought, that's thought of non-greed, which is generosity in the positive terms that can bring happiness to you. Thoughts of non-hatred, uh, that's what you have to cultivate, which is metta. You've been doing that. Thoughts of non-cruity, that's karuna, that's compassion. So that's you have to cultivate compassion, you have to cultivate meta-loving kindness, and you have to be generous. That's what we call right thought. Now, this you wonder why the Buddha put right thought here, actually. Actually, when you have understanding, then right thought comes uh, naturally there. So... And also, there's a book I told you about the how of happiness. They found out that 
number one cause of suffering is overthinking and comparing social comparing comparing yourself with your other people maybe yogis why they walk too fast <laughs> So this kind of comparing and also thinking, just thinking everything under the sun, that can cause, can wear the mind away. And they give uh, some of the tips not to overthink. Maybe you can write things down, a little bit jot down your thoughts and then put it there in the cabin. That's what I did in, during three months. I was overthinking, I just jot down things and just drop the not there. <laughs> and I said, I'll see you next time when I finish the retreat. Joseph has a very good mantra about uh, thoughts that comes when you're meditating. It's called not now. I like it very much because I remember when I was meditating for three months, thoughts were coming and I have two months to go. So they are not helping me <laughs> because I mean, of what help actually. A thought that is going to come after two months when, uh, in December, I mean something that's going to happen in December and you're thinking about the, it now, it doesn't help so much actually. So better you not maybe thinking, remembering, planning. So I think that's even much better because when you do that, you are working with your thoughts. For comparing, uh, thoughts of comparing, so... Uh, you can remember the law of karma, that that's my karma, and that's their karma. So it has nothing to do with me. But what helps me also is MMB, mind my business. <laughs> that's very helpful. If somebody's doing something and is arousing so many thoughts and thoughts and thoughts about meeting them after the, at the end of the retreat and plan a, a retreat together and meditate and together, all these things. So just mind my business. <laughs> which is on the cushion here and of the cushion. So you just think what you need to uh, do, what you need to do, not uh, thoughts of other things, you know. So that's very helpful, actually. So the Buddha gave this teaching on right thoughts, known that we should stop thinking. Think the idea was to think selectively. Yes. Most people come to meditation, they think that they are going to you know, like a vacuum clean the mind so there's no thoughts. Actually, the problem is not thoughts. Good thoughts are okay. Be mindful of thinking process. The problem is getting caught up in thoughts. And in my talk last time, I talked about how to deal with, I think, difficult emotions, I mean, uh, um, um, hindrances. There I gave some few tips that you can use with your thoughts. I'm not going to repeat them. I talked about uh, them as uh, dealing with hindrance and all that, but I would call them thought management techniques. Maybe I should actually talk about that more specifically to the thoughts. But in my guided, guided meditation, I think I mentioned it also. I don't want to repeat that, but you know that you can access happiness through, through right thought. There's one discourse which says that freedom from thoughts of greed, hatred, and, and uh, cruelty, and all these kind of mental states, uh, mental defilement, it leads to the same route. You remember I told you exit eight? <laughs> it's, it's the same exit and it leads to the same mind state like gladness, joy. I'm not going to repeat it for the sake of time. There's not a lot of time actually. So you know that that's also another way. So there's right thought. That's the third. I mean right, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. I'm going to talk about this all together because we are going to run out of time. So right speech... You speak the truth, you, you also you speak in a kind way, harmoniously and meaningful way. You have taken the five precepts of not killing, and that means respect for life. You're taking a precept also of not stealing, you respect others' property, and also be contented with what you have. 
be generous and also uh, the precept you took is not to commit uh, this uh, sexual misconduct and all these things then uh, also you, uh, you really actually hear you practice what you call right livelihood you are avoiding wrong wrong livelihood you're not manufacturing bombs and all these things here. So I'm, I want to talk about this as ethical conduct altogether. And the, according to the Buddha, he said that when you practice this right action, right, right livelihood, right speech, but of course this is maybe, let us say, five precepts or eight precepts, the Buddha said that you will be free from remorse. When you are free from remorse again that puts you into gladness because you have joy and then you, oh i have not spoken to anyone and you are keeping noble silence <laughs> you are off the hook <laughs> really because there is one person who said something is called Publius Cyrus he said that I have often regretted my sp I've often regretted my speech never my silence. I like this very much. So actually you have minimized by keeping noble silence you have minimized actually sense of regret always when you you talk to somebody then uh, you start scratching your head did I talk something wrong or right and then there's remorse and then you're not happy but here you are keeping noble silence I think uh, the chances of being happy are high, very high. Now, there's not going to be remorse. And then you're going to have gladness and joy, the whole of the mental states that I've already explained to you. Then there is right efforts. Efforts to prevent and overcome unskillful states of mind and efforts to develop and maintain skillful states of mind. Again, there is a discourse The book is called Chula Asapira Sutta in Majjhima Nikaya, number 40. The Buddha again is saying the same thing. When you overcome, because this is an effort to overcome, if you make that effort to overcome mental defilements, you again, you are, you, you, you are free from mental defilement. When you are free from this mental defilement, even on a temporary basis, you are going to feel gladness, joy, and as I mentioned already. So we are not going to repeat the same thing because it's the same thing. I'm just telling you that you have so many options to become uh, happy, actually, if you want. <laughs> many ways. <laughs> so now we've got to write mindfulness. So, uh, I think uh, one teacher mentioned, I think it was Andrea, talked about mindfulness at the very beginning of the, our retreat. Mindfulness of the body, feelings, uh, and uh, mind states and me mental objects. Again, it's the same thing. The function of mind and mindfulness is to guard. The function of mindfulness is to guard the mind from mental defilements. So when the, the mind, is, mind is guarded uh, from mental, these mental defilements, you'll be very happy. In fact, when you become mindful of hindrance then you also become mindful of the absence of hindrance then you reflect oh this mind is free from hindrances then you become glad so I would like you to use this instruction when there's a hindrance and also at the moment when there's no hindrance and compare those two moments when you you really found out that you are no longer tormented by difficult emotion or hindrance, you feel, oh, wow, I'm peaceful now. I have a break. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> so now you are, you are going to feel gladness and joy and tranquil and happy and concentration. So I'm saying this because I would like you to, to show you ways how to be happy. They are there. I don't know if you use them. <laughs> so you know that even right effort, you'll be very happy. Right mindfulness, you'll be happy. And right concentration, oh, big time happiness. When the, mind, <laughs> when the mind's concentrated, oh, 
that means the five hindrances at least they're suspended even for a short time there's happiness of seclusion from um, sensual desires and other unwholesome states of mind there's also the second happiness that comes comes from concentrate concentration happiness of purification of of, of mindfulness and equanimity so there is that kind of happiness okay the last part of the talk i'm going to dedicate it to practical we are going to do some practicals now always i want to approach things from a theoretical point of view and practical now let us find happiness under our nose we are going to find happiness under our nose so that we don't pursue it <laughs> all right are you ready okay get ready with your nose <laughs> all right Sit comfortably. Take a deep, slow breath. And breathe out. Another deep, slow breath. And breathe out. Okay, that's enough. Now, when you breathe, Every time you have a chance to be happy. <laughs> but most of the time, we, we always blame other people. They're not, we blame the cushion. It's not giving happiness. We blame other yogis. We blame the teachers. We blame the teachings. We blame the weather. Everything. But every time happiness is going through the nose <laughs> and coming out through the nose. I'll tell you how. There are 21 ways according to my teacher also, Bantagunaratana, 21 ways you can pay attention to the breath. I'm going to go through one by one. You may not do those in one go, but find out what way you'll actually observe the breath so that every time you are experiencing happiness. The first one, watch the breath at the beginning. As soon as it comes, watch it. Second, in the middle. Somewhere before it ends. <laughs> you don't have to struggle a lot, but also watch the end. If you know the end and the beginning, so that means the middle is somewhere else. But don't go through hair-splitting details to find the middle. <laughs> Just know that that's happiness with the breath. And also the pause. Whenever, when you breathe, there's a pause in your breath. Especially when you start to gain concentration, there's a pause in your breath. Sometimes the breath becomes even subtle, very, very subtle, and sometimes imperceptible. So we can say in, on inhalation, inhalation there's those things going on. It's up to you to watch them. And also uh, exhalation, there's also the beginning, the middle, and the end, and the pause. If the pause is too long, try to use maybe sitting touch point if the, the pause is too long. All right? So... Those are almost eight parts of to the breath uh, to the breath that you can watch. Now, already I've talked about uh, the the four elements, but let us talk about something you really feel when you are breathing. Like you feel pressure when you breathe, you feel pressure. Be mindful of that pressure. Now, when you breathe out, there's a release of pressure. There's, uh, there's anxiety with your breathing also. A little bit of anxiety, but we, we just managed to maneuver it. And also, when you breathe in and out, try to sense if there's any relief of anxiety. Because re this release of tension, that brings happiness from moment to moment. And the release of anxiety, right? You can breathe one time and you really feel that the, there's a little bit of anxiety actually from moment to moment. But when you release that, there's that kind of, ah, little, little, little moments of happiness you have to find. Now, we go to the, to the 13th way. The 13th way is to go through, actually, the earth element. I'm starting with the earth element and feel the hardness and the softness and the touch in the breath, right? Then the 14th way is coolness. That's a fire element, the warmness of the breath. Try to do this. Then the 15th way is actually air element. Be aware of the movement of the air 
as it passes through the nostrils. Then if you are rising, if you're watching rising and fall of abdomen, you can be aware of the expansion and contraction. Those are the properties of it the air element then water element that's uh, number 16 you feel the uh, the dryness and moist of the breath so all those things are not, you are not going to feel in one go but try to find out something in your breath then number 17th is to be aware that this is air now this is an uh, the part of the form this air uh, I talked about actually the five aggregates in a breath, but it bears repeating. So then 18, where is feeling? Try to feel the breath. There's awareness of the breath, but also there's feeling the breath. Is there pleasant feelings? Is there unpleasant? Is there, is, is there some neutral feelings? Try to also be aware of that. Then perception. You perceive the breath. You become, That means uh, you Really, actually, without perception, you cannot know that breath. It's because you perceive that this is a breath. Then you can continue awareness. Sometimes it becomes imperceptible. But you have to bring that perception by actually even uh, taking your mindfulness to a grosser object and then come back so that you can perceive the breath. Like the touch points. If you cannot perceive the breath, you can go to the touch points and which is like more intensely filled, you can feel it more intense, and then uh, you come back to the breath, it will be perceptible again. Number 20 is mental formations. That's the breath, you pay attention to it, that's part of mental formation. Number 21 is consciousness, awareness of the breath. Without consciousness, you want to even be aware that you are breathing. So these are 21 ways you can try to watch the breath but don't do them at the same time. <laughs> you just pick one, okay, now I'm going to be aware of the, the touch, the hardness, I mean the softness of the breath, and then go with that. And uh, we are going to track down the noble eightfold path in one breath. In one breath, we are going to track down, to, we are going to see if there's the noble eightfold path. If we find out, should we find out that every breath has the noble eightfold path, then we know that we can cultivate happiness from moment to moment. All right, we start with the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths, uh, you already know them. Actually, the breath, I told you, the five aggregates is one of the five aggregates. is one of the 16, I mean, 21 ways I've told you. So the breath, actually, is part of the five aggregates. It's part of the first noble truth. The second noble truth is craving. You crave for the breath. Do you know that? We want to exist. That's why every time we have to breathe. <laughs> so there's that kind of subtle craving to live. To the, in fact, every time we wait, oh, there's another one. Okay, now. Then there's always that. I'm not saying that uh, uh, when you overcome craving, you don't breathe. <laughs> you continue to breathe. <laughs> But you should find out in your practice. Sometimes we try to make the breath longer. I did that in my practice and it was tiring. And I did it for a reason. You stay with the teacher for three months reporting every the other day. I say, what am I going to say? What is new? What new things am I going to report to this teacher? So what I used to do is to extend my breath so that I can feel more. And then I could go to my teacher and say, I found out something new. And then it was so tiring. To crave for a longer breath. <laughs> so it's amazing how the mind works. Anyway, we have done all those kind of st stuff. So just let go of the breath and just happen by itself. Then actually we can experience some happiness when we breathe. In, and then that gives you an, a clue what will happen when you are fully enlightened. When you release the breath and you feel a little bit of happiness, then that's I call it Tadanga. Actually, this is written in scripture. It's called Tadanga Nibbana, which is like moment-to-moment -moment liberation, where you have those moments where you are free, actually. You can feel them, these moments when you are breathing, actually. Then there is the noble eightfold path. One by one, I'm going to go through. And that's the fourth noble truth in the breath, okay? The first, the, of course, you know the fourth noble truth is the noble eightfold path. And that's the fourth noble truth. 
the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. It starts with the right understanding, which you know already. You must have a right understanding for the breath. Now, right thought. When you are breathing, hmm, totally you pay attention to the breath. There is not really at that moment anger. There is no greed. Do you have greed for breath? No. <laughs> at least uh, when you are breathing, there is no cruelty to the breath. So at that moment, I think your mind, if you really pay attention to the breath fully, in the small moment, there is at least on a temporary moment, there is no greed. There is no uh, this uh, cruelty and hatred. So you have some kind of meta going on there, loving kindness <laughs> going on. So then with the watching the breath, maybe when you're on a cushion here, you are keeping silence and that takes care of right speech. Unless you go to an interview, <laughs> you have to break your silence. But actually also that's very important to have right speech. Then right action, you're keeping the fire precept, right livelihood. Uh, as I mentioned you know, on the cushion here, actually that's a very good right livelihood, really. Sit on a cushion, really, and meditate. Not only on a cushion, but also outside, because you have to practice meditation, so you're not going to worry about this uh, livelihood. So when you are breathing, when uh, fully mindful of the breath, actually you are keeping what we call ethical conduct. So that takes care of the ethical conduct because you already have taken the five precepts. So we go to right effort. You know without effort, you cannot pay attention to your breath. This mental effort that always you need to bring your effort back to the breath again and again. It gets lost uh, your breath uh, your, you, when you're breathing and then you cannot feel the breath. You get lost and all that. So you need effort to bring your mind back to the breath. So always there's effort going on there. So effort is going on all the time if you pay attention, mindfulness attention to the breath. Mindfulness, it's observing power. So you, every time you observe the breath, mindfulness is not there. So observing power there. You, you feel the breath with all those 21 ways. You, you have to have mindfulness. Without mindfulness, you cannot know this one, one of the 21, 21 ways. Whether it's even knowing the beginning or the middle or the pause, you cannot know this without mindfulness. So then, concentration. The, the, the focus uh, this is what we call skillful states of mind together. So when you actually become mindful of the breath, wholesome states of mind are together. You are focusing, you are concentrating from moment to moment. This is what we call kanika samadhi, which means moment to moment concentration. It's not jhana yet, that which is full-blown concentration when there's no hindrances. But actually from moment to moment, there's concentration. But as you, con uh, you, actually, as you practice more and more and abandon the five hindrances, you can gain uh, concentration. Friends, this is how to use the breath to be happy. <laughs> now you can use it, extend it to other things. I've just given you the breath only. Everything in your experience with the emotion, it's the same thing if you practice the Noble Eightfold eight, eight, Path is there. I want to focus, I wanted to focus more on the breath because it's there all the time. Maybe anger is, there, is not there all the time, but your breath is there all the time, 24-7. And if you want to cultivate happiness, not to pursue happiness, <laughs> it's to cultivate it every moment. You pay mindfulness effort to understand the breath. And then hindrances are going to be suppressed. You are going to be happy. Let us sit for a moment or two. Chinese saying goes like this. 
every journey of 1,000 miles starts with one step. So every journey to happiness, to liberation, starts with one breath. Atupamaya sabesam satanam suko kamato pasitwa kamato metta sabbasate subhavaye Having seen that all beings like oneself have a desire for happiness, one cultivates happiness for all beings. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you very much for your attention. Attain, may you gain true happiness and attain final liberation. And it's from moment to moment, each breath counts. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.